Welcome to the Reformation Podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard Steuben. Uh, Jake's not going to be able to make it this month because he's presenting a paper at an academic conference on Baptist studies, and I'm actually going to go listen to him read it in a minute. Um, But he wasn't able to uh, join for this episode because he was prepping for that. So I thought I'd do a mini episode, you know, postpone our Luther series for when Jake can join us because it's been great to have the conversation with him. Um, But I'd do a mini-episode on a subject that is really interesting to a lot of people who are not specialists in the Reformation, um, who are just ordinary church folk or theologians, um, a topic that keeps on coming up and up and up whenever we talk about uh, a certain Reformation figure. Um, That is, I want to talk about John Calvin, but not only John Calvin, but... What people remember as the worst uh, part of Calvin's legacy, the time when Calvin sinned um, in a really dramatic way in the narrative as it's told by a lot of people. Um, Often you'll hear preachers say things like, everybody's a sinner, Moses killed a guy, Noah was a drunk, Uh, and they'll go through and some of the more historically minded pastors might say things like and Augustine called for persecution of the Donatists and Karl Barth maybe he might have had that affair or something we don't know uh there's there's weird stories there um but then then they'll talk about Calvin and they'll say and Calvin killed Michael Servetus and see aren't we all sinners or um in the more progressive side of the blogosphere, you might have people talking about um, the monstrous John Calvin who persecuted the innocent Michael Servetus because of Servetus's faith and lack of uh, lack of agreement with the horrible monstrous persecutor named John Calvin, whose doctrine, might I remind you, makes God God's self into a monster. Um, so this subject. Um, keeps getting brought up. This engagement between the greatest Reformation thinker, John Calvin, um, and and the man whom he persecuted, Michael Servetus. But the story is actually quite a bit more complicated than that. But before we get into the story um, and the actual history behind the story, what are we drinking today, Gerhard? Not a lot. We're just drinking coffee. Um, it's 8.20 in the morning, and I have a conference to go to later. Great. Glad that's out of the way. As long as that's out of the way, uh, check out Patristica Press. Uh, we're sponsored by Patristica Press, by which I mean I'm one of the owners of Patristica Press. Um, and I'd, I'd appreciate it if you go check out our website. We got lots of books for you to buy. And by the time this podcast is up, uh, our free section will probably be up. We are announcing a new initiative um, where authors can voluntarily opt in to put the PDFs of their books up for free download. Um, I'm going to be kind of 
spearheading that by putting all my books up for free um, as the first first participating author. That was that was a fun word. Participating in Patristica. Uh, yeah, so you can go and download all of my previously published books there. There's Magic and Technology, Scripture Revisited, Meaning Without Meaning, and they're all super mine, which I can't say how they are because they're my books. But um, you can go download them soon, or you can buy many of our other books. You can buy those books if you just feel like supporting us. And Tyler Stanley, one of the hosts of another podcast I host called... Uh, Podcastica Patristica wrote a book on capitalism and socialism and Christianity and the ethics behind all of that. Um, we're just about to publish a book called 17th and Dutton, uh, which is the story of local Waco uh, staple Craig Nash and his um, experience with and tenure at uh, University Baptist Church. It's written by um, Craig who served on staff with Kyle Lake and David Crowder, and the afterword is written by current pastor of UBC, Josh Carney. And this book's not just interesting for Waco people, um, but really for anyone involved uh, or interested in the Christian church in the 2000s era, and I think this great book, is this memoir, is a really great snapshot of the, what we might call the... uh, the emergent church era um, of evangelicalism and how it engaged with postmodern philosophy. But those are just some of the many examples of things you can buy. But back to the podcast. Back to you, Gerhard. Okay, yeah, advertisements, that's great. Uh, But we're here to talk about Calvin and Servetus, right? That's right. Um, So, just for those of you who don't know the talking points about Calvin and Servetus, those of you who don't know the the general word on the street about this event, let me give you what you might find in a blog, um, normally written by someone with pretty strong feelings about Calvinism and why it makes God a monster or something. Uh, The normal story is that there was this basically innocent guy named Michael Servetus, um, who was kind of annoying, um, but that didn't agree with Calvin, and so pestered Calvin um, about Calvin's theology. And so he he wrote letters back and forth with Calvin, and Calvin said, don't come to Geneva or I'll kill you. And Servetus said, hey, Calvin, I still want to talk to you. So he went to Geneva anyway. And Calvin said, you came here. I warned you not to come here. I'm going to put you to death. And then he did. He put him to death. Uh, Calvin wanted to have him put to death by beheading. Um, but the Genevan city council overruled him and they burned him at the stake. And... This is kind, this is the story that's in the popular imagination. As you can tell, it's very um, it's very simplified. It doesn't really make sense just with those bare facts. Um, but that's because there's a lot of complexity to the issue, um, which makes the guilt um, shift pretty significantly once you do 
a uh, more thorough, more honestly faithful to the history reading of what happened. Um, it's easy to make your enemy into a monster if you leave out some pretty crucial facts. So, what exactly happened between John Calvin and Michael Servetus? Well, first of all, let me just give you the facts. These are just the facts as they're understood by historians today. Um, these are not doubtable facts, really. These are just things that we know happened. And I think even after just hearing the actual facts of the case, you yourself will learn that, or you will get judge for yourself that Calvin is a lot more innocent in this regard than he's normally represented out in the popular imagination. So, fact one. Michael Servetus was born in Aragon, which is now Spain, in 1511. And he grew into a just prodigiously intelligent young man. He was brilliant. Everyone knew he was brilliant, but he was also extremely eccentric. And this eccentricity showed itself uh, about 20 years later in fact number two, the fact that in 1531, Michael Servetus, the Spanish um, young man from Spain, uh, printed with his own name, he attached his own name to it, a book or a work um, called Concerning the Errors About the Trinity in Seven Books. Now this book, uh, as you might judge from the title, was immediately condemned as heretical. And since Michael Servetus had put his own name on it, uh, that leads to fact three. Fact three. Servetus, fearing imprisonment for heresy against the Trinity, which was in Servetus's day and technically had been sixth, since the 6th century a capital offense one of the only two um, way one of only two ways in which heresy could be a capital offense um, and so Servetus fearing imprisonment and maybe even death for heresy fled to Paris and changed his name to Michael Villeneuve um, he took the name of his hometown in Aragon, in Spain, uh, Villeneuve, and changed that to his last name, essentially, and called himself Michael de Villeneuve, or Michael from Villeneuve. Fact uh, four. After, you know, traveling, trying out a few other European cities, he returned to Paris and studied medicine. And while in Paris, he, uh, he couldn't keep away from theology, uh, so he published a pamphlet on astrology. And apparently he was way too into astrology for the people around him, uh, for the clergy in Paris. And so he was also censored for the heresy of astrology. Um, now, astrology was not... I mean, this really uh, unorthodox way of using astrology was not uh, as bad of a crime as disbelief in the Trinity, uh, blaspheming the Trinity, and so Michael himself was not imprisoned. Uh, he was just ordered by the local Roman Catholic hierarchy to withdraw the pamphlet from publication. Fact five. Um, after another journey through European cities, he's a doctor now, he's gotten his uh, master's and his 
MD uh, from the University of Paris. He's traveling around um, other European cities, and he eventually settles down in a city named Vienne uh, in 1539. Now, if you were Michael Servetus, and you had already been condemned once so harshly for heresy that you had to fear for your life and flee and change your name, and then condemned a second time for a much, much lighter heresy, what might you imagine doing? Or better, what might you imagine not doing? How about starting up the whole heresy against the Trinity thing? Well, that's what the normal person might do, but not what Michael Servetus did. From Vienne, uh, Servetus, using his assumed name, Michael Villeneuve, wrote to John Calvin, um, and he wrote this new book on the Trinity um, and the errors of the Trinity, and wrote some personal letters to John Calvin, uh, presumably Michael Servetus, going under the name Michael Villeneuve, um, recognized Calvin's authority as, you know, the great Protestant mind of his day, and he wanted to engage the man. Um, but he also really hated Calvin, um, because Calvin, in his mind, represented the betrayal of the Reformation. It didn't go far enough. It didn't reject things like infant baptism and the Trinity and all these Catholic uh, hanger-ons. And so, uh, Servetus wanted to challenge the great mind who was, because of his nearness to the truth, the great heretic. And uh, he wrote these letters and this new book and addressed it to Calvin. And Calvin, uh, it seems, pretty quickly realized that this Michael Villeneuve guy was actually the infamous heretic Michael Servetus from ten years back in the old book on the Trinity. Presumably, this is because we, I mean, you can only imagine that the new and old book use pretty much the same arguments and the same style since it's from the same highly erratic person, personality. Uh, but Calvin uh, engaged Servetus for a while. Um, they wrote back letters back and forth, and Calvin tried to convince Servetus of what was then and now considered the orthodox option, uh, but Servetus wasn't having it. And eventually, Calvin just stopped. Um, stopped responding to Servetus' letters because he realized that it was a waste of his time trying to convince this guy. Um, but Calvin did, in the midst, in the course of the letters, warn Servetus, like, hey, I know you want to talk to me or whatever, don't come to Geneva. You are a heretic, a really infamous heretic. People are still trying to, looking for you to arrest you under your name, your real name, Michael Servetus. If you come to Geneva, I'll turn you in. Um, that's the law. And we need to protect our society from people like you. So don't come to Geneva. Uh, but on top of that, after finishing the letter correspondence Calvin wrote to the authorities in Vienne, where Michael Servetus was living under his assumed name, and informed them that Cerveda, that Villeneuve was actually Servetus, um, the infamous heretic from 10 years ago. And it seems that Calvin was probably the first person to make this connection, which is kind of interesting. Um, fact number six, that was a long fact. Fact six, Servetus was arrested by the Bishop of Vienne, um, but luckily for Servetus, um, Servetus and the Bishop had become pretty close friends by then. And so the bishop had him arrested because that's what he had to do um, as a person in his position, but he conveniently left the cell door unlocked, um, where 
As soon as the bishop walked away, Cervez could easily have just opened the door and walked out of the Episcopal Palace area thing. And that's what Cervez did. He, as soon as he was locked up, he opened the door, walked away, and what would you imagine uh, a sane person might do in this instance? Um, he's just been arrested for heresy. Uh, his cover is blown. He has committed a capital offense, according to um, medieval Europe law. A sane person would flee to another town and change his name again and start over life again. This is not what Michael Cervatus did. Michael Cervatus, as soon as he got out of prison, went to Geneva. Um, and that is fact seven. Instead of fleeing to safety, uh, Cervatus went to Geneva, and immediately he attended a church service and was recognized and arrested. Uh, Calvin told him that would happen, and it happened. Fact eight. Servetus was then tried by the Geneva City Council, the, who was the governing body of the city, um, on the ancient crime of heresy regarding the Trinity, whose official prescribed punishment was execution. Uh, fact 7. Calvin, who was the leading pastor and theological guide for Geneva, was given a theological advisory role in the trial. And his task was to demonstrate that Servetus was a heretic. And Cerv Calvin did exactly that. He performed his theological advisory role for the council. Remember, this is the council, the Genevan city council, putting Servetus on trial for heresy. And Calvin is brought in by the council as a theological guide for them to say, yes, this is in fact heresy. He is, in modern terms, just an expert witness at this point. Next fact. Uh, Calvin prepared a booklet containing uh, examples of all of Servetus's heretical statements, and he presented it to the Genevan City Council, as well as uh, enclosing copies of it and writing letters to other major reformers in other major Swiss cities. Um, the City Council of Geneva wanted to know if the other major Swiss cities and the other reformers uh, agreed with Calvin's uh, stance against Servetus, that Servetus was in fact a heretic, and they wanted to know um, from those other important figures in Protestantism at the time uh, what judgment they should pass on Servetus. And every single reformer, including Melanchthon, including Bucer, in including Echolampadius, uh, concurred with Calvin and the Genevan City Council that Servetus was a heretic, and they all agreed that Servetus ought to be punished. And most of them tacitly uh, said, they didn't explicitly say, but they tacitly let it be known that it should, might be said uh, that Servetus should be executed for the crime of heresy. Second to last fact. During this time, during the time that Servetus is being tried by the Geneva City Council, Calvin was not in control of the Geneva City Council. Not even a little bit. In fact, this moment occurred precisely at the nadir of Calvin's power struggles with the Geneva City Council. Uh, at this point, things were very, very tense between Calvin and the council, and they were locked in a battle of who should control um, the theological, moral uh, world of the city. 
Calvin thought that he, along with the consistory of pastors, which is just all the ministers in Geneva, should take care of pretty much everything regarding religion for the city of Geneva. And specifically, what they were arguing about at the time was who had the right to excommunicate people, who had the right to bar people from taking communion. Um, Calvin and the company of ministers in Geneva said, well, we're the church leaders, we should have the right to excommunicate people. Um, but the Genevan City Council said, no, we are the ones who run the state and um, the and partaking in communion is, in part at least, a an involvement in civil politics. And so at this point, at exactly this point where Cervetus is tried by the Genevan City Council, Calvin and the council are locked in hostile disagreement over who should control um, the religious life of the city of Geneva. And ultimately, the city of Geneva is going to win that battle, just like they're going to win the battle with Servetus. Next fact. Having received the support of the other reformers in major Swiss cities, the Genevan city council sentenced Michael Servetus to death by burning. They were going to burn him as a heretic. And Calvin, in one last attempt um, to involve in the be involved in the process, said, "No, no, no, guys, that's too cruel. Don't, don't burn him. At least just behead him." And the Genevan City Council said, "Nope, forget you, Calvin. We're going to do what we want." And they burned him anyway. Last fact: on October twenty seventh, fifteen fifty three, Michael Servetus died at the age of forty two. And that all, like I say are just the facts of the case regarding Michael Servetus. And none of those facts are going to be doubted by any serious historian. But what really matters is the interpretation of those facts, and specifically for our purposes, who's responsible for the death of Michael Servetus. Because in the popular uh, blogosphere, this is remembered as the stain, as the great sin of Calvin's life. But I think once we step back and look at all those facts together, Calvin is actually innocent um, of what he's normally charged against, charged by, um, by popular bloggers, writers, um, theologians today. But again, the facts of the case show Calvin to be innocent, and not just because he warned Servetus uh, not to come to Geneva not just because he tried to get him beheaded instead of burned. Those aren't really the important facts. Those aren't really the important um, exonerating facts of the case. The main exonerating fact of the case is Calvin didn't decide to do it. Calvin wasn't the one who had the authority to make the decision uh, to execute uh, Michael Servetus. Calvin wasn't the one with the authority or ability and to bring Servetus up on trials. That was the city of Geneva. That was the state, that was the government who put Servetus on trial, and Calvin was brought in as an assistant to the prosecution, um, as the theological expert in Geneva, in order to give who the people who are really putting Servetus on trial, the Genevan City Council, uh, expert testimony, as expert witness, what they should do with this guy, what... Uh, whether or not he was really a heretic, uh, he was really just an advisor. And this is known um, by historians. It always has been known by historians. Um, this is what Bruce Gordon, a Yale church historian, um, and really the Calvin 
guy, the Calvin expert in the world. Um, he wrote the definitive biography of Calvin and also the definitive study of Calvin's institutes. Um, here's what he wrote in his biography. Quote, Although Servetus' quarrel was clearly with Calvin, the Frenchman's role in the process was limited. He was already enmeshed in the dispute with the magistrates over who possessed the right to excommunicate. This was a battle for control of the church. The rulers of Geneva were not about to permit Calvin to determine the course of the trial. The whole point was that they, the council, should decide whether the Spaniard lived or died. Or, again, later on in the book he says, Calvin could not have Servetus executed. That was the decision of a council not well disposed towards the Frenchman, and with which he was locked in a battle over excommunication. Servetus provided an opportunity for the magistrates to demonstrate their authority over Calvin, and that is perhaps why his request that the condemned man be put to the sword was rejected. So whether or not Calvin wanted Servetus to be re uh, executed, which is actually somewhat difficult to determine, um, whether or not Calvin wanted that in his own personal heart, uh, that's completely irrelevant. Everyone wanted this guy executed in their own personal hearts. Uh, Melanchthon did, Bucer did, Oikolampadius did, the Roman Catholics did. Everybody wanted this guy executed. Um, who, well, all traditional people. There were lots of um, humanists at the time, um, not exactly the standard of orthodoxy, um, th that wanted Michael Servetus off. But all traditional Orthodox Christians at the time wanted Michael Servetus executed. Um, but none of them did it, right? You're only you're not judged by the like you're not judged by the law for things that you want to do. You're judged by the law for things that you do, and not Melanchthon, not Bucer, not Oikolampadius, not the Roman Catholic hierarchy, not even Calvin put Servetus to death. Not e none of them put him on trial, none of them uh, passed sentence against him, and none of them actually executed them. The only people who did that were the Genevan City Council. They were the ones with the authority, and as Bruce Gordon says, part of their authority was uh, deciding against what Calvin wanted. Uh, they Calvin had no authority to put this guy to death. Melanchthon didn't have the authority, Bucer didn't have the authority, Oikolampadius didn't have the authority, the Roman Catholics didn't have the authority to put this guy to death, nor did Calvin, and so they are all innocent. The people who put him to death are the Genevan City Council. But this slander against Calvin, this uh, maybe even intentional misreading of the facts, um, was begun immediately after the Servetus case. Uh, opponents of Calvin, especially people who just detested his uh, double predestination idea, um, people who were just opposed to Calvin in general, they used the Servetus case, this is right after, this is during Calvin's own lifetime, they used the Servetus case to see it, say, look, isn't this guy such a monster? He's a murderer. Um, and I'll read you uh, Bruce Gordon's quote about them. Quote, The prevailing mood among these men was that the execution was a gross injustice for which they blamed not the Geneva City Council, but Calvin himself. They chose to believe, in contradiction to the, of the facts, that Calvin had been able to decide Servetus' fate. Unquote. Now, uh, what, we can, what Bruce Gordon says about those in Calvin's own time is at least as equally applicable to people in our own day. 
And people in our own day seem to try to put the guilt of Servetus' death right at Calvin's feet. Um, and they're very vocal and they're very angry about it. And they say things like, I cannot respect John Calvin. Um, this is, um, as Bruce Gordon says, in contradiction of the facts. It was the Genevan City Council, not Calvin, who put Servetus to death. And now, remember for a second, this is medieval law. This is not modern due process. Uh, in, in fact, I, I looked it up, and this is exactly 30 years before the last trial by combat happened in England. Um, this is not modern Western law. But by this standard of law, by the, the medieval standard of law, uh, the Servetus case actually went by um, pretty well. A different scholar, this time uh, Harvard historian Ephraim um, Emerton, says the following, quote, A calmer judgment, however, shows us that seldom, if ever, was a trial for opinions conducted with larger guarantees of fairness, more openly, or more in accordance with the principles with the soundest leaders of thought at the time would approve, unquote. Calvin wasn't some bloodthirsty monster trying to uh, persecute his theological enemies. Um, he was just a calm participant in the world of Genevan politics, and he faithfully fulfilled the task that the Genevan City Council set him, which was to be the theological advisor um, for this theological trial. Now, none of us are sitting here thinking... Yes, the Genevan City Council did the right thing. Heretics should be burned. Um, none of us think that heresy against the Trinity is a, should be a capital offense. Um, and, you know, we all agree there. Yes, they did the wrong thing. Um, but the point is that they, the council, did the wrong thing. Um, we blame them, the state, for executing a person, just like we today blame the state, not the legal team of the prosecution, for executing a person if the execution was done wrongly. Um, so a lot of the people listening to this podcast are going to be opposed to capital punishment in theory. They say that capital punishment is unjust, uh, is unchristian, no matter how it's practiced. Okay, great. So when... There is a murder case, and the court deems them guilty, and they are put to death. Who bears the moral guilt for the person being put to death? Um, I think everyone who is against capital punishment would say, the state. They're the ones who put the man to death. Uh, no one, as far as I'm aware, would say, uh, the lawyer of the prosecution, or uh, the expert witness who... Uh, brought in the DNA sample and said, yep, this is the, this seems to be that guy's DNA. No one blames the expert witnesses. No one blames the legal team of the prosecution. That's, we just know that's not how law works. Uh, the legal team just assists those who give judgment in order to think more clearly about their own judgment. It's the, it's the judge, it's the jury who bears the responsibility of deciding whether a person should or should not be put to death. Um, but for some reason, that is lost on people when thinking about John Calvin and um, this incident in the Middle Ages. Um, P 
people call Calvin this bloodthirsty monster when in reality he was just an assistant to the prosecution, when in reality he was just an expert witness. Um, and I think that's just unfair. Um, and it's definitely, it definitely doesn't rise out of the actual complex story of what happened. Um, the only reason I can think of to why someone might willingly uh, propagate this belief, I mean, unless they just uh, ha have heard the have heard the popular story and have not bothered to go check up the story themselves before passing it along. The only thing I, reason I can think that someone would want to continue this misinformation is if they're really just trying to tarnish um, the theology which Calvin taught and the theological tradition that comes after Calvin, the Reformed tradition, the Calvinists. But I have to say it as firmly as I can. It can't be said firmly enough. John Calvin did not kill Michael Servetus. Calvin had his faults. He could be arrogant at times. He was very, very quick to temper. He was not quick to forgive. Um, but he was no murderer. He didn't murder anyone directly, and he didn't murder anyone indirectly. If he was a murderer, then the entire community of reformers, the entire Western church, and every prosecutor and expert witness ever are also murderers. But the campaign of propaganda and misinformation, this stock of alternative facts against the man, uh, just really needs to stop because it's far, far exceeded its expiration date. Um, Calvin was no murderer. Hey, thanks again for listening to this mini episode of the Reformation Podcast. I'm looking forward to uh, getting back in touch with you soon and hanging out with Jake again and finishing up our talk about Luther, Luther's mod, uh, mature theology. Until then, have a great, great whatever day it is.